For some reason, it seems that we are fascinated with lists of the best and worst of things. Have you noticed this? They're all over the internet. The 10 best books, the 10 worst books. The 10 best places to work, the 10 worst places to work. The 10 best movies, the 10 worst movies. And sometimes these rankings are sort of surprising. Uh, for example, right now on several internet lists, the very best place in the United States to vacation is Asheville, North Carolina. I didn't see that one coming. And the worst place? Atlantic City, New Jersey. The best place to live in the United States? This might surprise you for two years running. Austin, Texas. The worst place to live in the United States? Mendota, California. Now, I'm not aware of any list of places in the U.S. with the best names, but if there is some list out there of the places in the United States that have the very best names, that I would have to argue that Paradise, Texas should be near the top of that list. And worst place names? Well, it seems that nearly everyone agrees. The place in the United States that has the very worst name is Toadsuck, Arkansas. Now, best and worst lists are just opinion, right? So I'm sure there are people in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and Medota, California, and Toadsuck, Arkansas, who would be very offended to find out that they have made anybody's worst list. I will say this, however. Once something has been placed on a worst list, the label tends to stick. And I think that's what happened to Nazareth this tiny little town that made the ancient world's version of the worst list because of a comment from our friend Nathaniel. Now, John tells us that Jesus has just begun his public ministry. He is going about the countryside calling disciples to follow him when he runs into Philip. And he says to Philip, come, follow me. And Philip does. And like any good disciple then, Philip goes out to invite more people to follow Jesus, and he runs into Nathaniel. Nathaniel, he says, we have found the one referenced in the law and the prophets. It's Jesus, son of Joseph of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's response, a question, put poor Nazareth on the worst list, it seems, for eternity. Can anything good come out of Nazareth, he asks? Now, friends, scholars really don't know a whole bunch about Nazareth. Before Nathaniel's comment, not a lot was written about it. Most likely, it was a tiny, dusty little village made of stone houses populated by very poor people without a lot of hope who were doing their best to just sort of scratch out a living. No more and no less until Nathaniel made his comment and it ended up on the worst list. Friends, why would John feel that this negative comment about Jesus' hometown was so important that it needed to be included in his gospel? Why include this little tidbit from Nathaniel? Well, like a lot of references in Holy Scripture, this is another one where there's a lot more to it. There's deeper meaning. If we will just take a moment to linger over the text and turn it over in our minds and study it a bit. Let's revisit the question. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Friends, does that 
questions sound vaguely familiar to you? I think it should. Because at one time or another, all of us human beings, I think, ask whether something good can come out of something that looks so bad. You see, truth be told, there are Nazareths in our personal lives and in the world, and it's one of the most heartfelt human questions to ask whether anything good can come out of those sorts of things. Can anything good come out of my divorce? Can anything good come out of my financial troubles? Can anything good come out of the death of my spouse or my child's addiction or the failure of my business? Can anything good come out of COVID-19? Out of the illness and the death and the anxiety and the job loss and the economic downturn and the dramatic effect on the gathered life of the church? Can anything good come out of that? Some years ago, I spent a couple of years visiting a woman in a nursing home. She was really too young to be there, but her health was so poor, and she didn't have anybody in her family to care for her that she ended up there, and I think it was a very depressing situation for her. All my visits with her sort of started out the same. I would come in and sit down next to her bed and say something like, how are you today? Or what's on your mind? Or how is your spirit? And sometimes she would say a few words about herself, but most of the time she would just brush me off. And she would say, "Ah, let's not talk about that. Holly, tell me something good. You know, I think all of us deep down, when we're going through something that seems so bad, just so desperately want to hear something good, we need to believe. We need the hope that comes with it. We've got to hang on to the idea that somehow, some way, that something good can come out of Nazareth. And friends, I want you to know, by the grace of God, it can It really can. That's the witness of Holy Scripture. It really can. Now, of course, God does not cause illness and suffering and death and violence. God does not cause COVID-19. But in the midst of things like that, in the darkest parts of our lives, the most challenging times, the most tragic times, God can be at work bringing about something good. Leonard Sweet puts it this way, and I think he says it so well. He says, when you are at your lowest ebb, when you are at your worst point, when you are most destroyed, destitute, disinherited, and bankrupt, when you are most damned and damaged, then and there, that is where God wants to do the greatest work in your life. You see, friends, this is why the Apostle Paul could say that to the world the cross of foolishness, but to those who believe it is the power of God. See, the world saw the event on the cross, weakness, suffering, death, and the world labeled that tragedy, foolishness. But we who believe know that in that most difficult, terrible moment, that darkest moment that God was doing God's greatest work. 
You know, when my grandfather died, I inherited his pastor's library. Dozens and dozens and dozens of books. And when I went through them, I found that he had several by a man named E. Stanley Jones. Turns out that E. Stanley Jones was one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived. He went to India at the age of 21 to share the gospel and to love people there and stayed for the bulk of his life. He was so effective in his work. He was so admired that he was nominated for bishop, but he turned it down because he wanted to stay in the mission field. Jones was a prolific writer, and he completed his last book when he was 83 years old. Now, what's really amazing about that is not his advanced age when he finished the work. It's the conditions under which the book were written. Because, you see, before he wrote the book, Jones had suffered a, a very serious stroke. He was paralyzed over most of his body. He really couldn't speak well. He couldn't hear well. He couldn't see well. And yet, he felt called to produce this book. And so, bedridden, with his daughter's help, he dictated the entire thing into a tiny cassette recorder. The book he wrote, this last book, is called The Divine Yes. And it is very well known. It sold millions and millions of copies. It's, it's considered a classic among pastors, and the opening sentence has been quoted so many times, I bet you know it. Jones writes, Jesus is the yes, the divine yes. Jones wrote that best-selling book when he was living through his own personal Nazareth. Friends, how many stories do we know like that? Stories like that of E. Stanley Jones were Someone has gone through a terrible time of suffering, of tragedy, of challenge, of failure, and yet in the midst of that, God has been at work to bring about something good. You know, I've um, been rereading a couple of books by Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. He's really been on my mind these days. And of course, he was an amazing Christian leader. He was an incredible preacher and brilliant theologian and great civil rights leader, of course. He, he truly led a cultural revolution that defeated segregation and opened up equality and opportunity to millions of people, but he, but he did that work in the darkness of Jim Crow. He did that work in the midst of terrible oppression and systemic racism and yet, in the, in the midst of that darkness, God was able to use his gifts in such a way that not something good alone emerged. No, what, what came out of that was something holy. And perhaps, friends, this is the greatest lesson of all, that our God, even in the midst of tragedy, of suffering, of challenge, pain can work to bring about not just something good, but something truly sacred. After all, out of Nazareth didn't just come a person who was good. 
Out of Nazareth came the Savior of the world, the most holy one of all. And surely, we've seen that kind of transformative holiness in the lives of people we know. I know I have. Haven't you known people who have gone through a season of of failure, of challenge, of suffering, of pain, and have come out on the other side of that, not just a survivor, but a transformed human being? I've known people like that, and they, by God's grace, have come out on the other side as a person who leans even more deeply into their relationships and doubles down on vulnerability and and hurls themselves even more gratefully into their art, into their love, into their commitments. By the grace of God, somehow in that Nazareth, they come out on the other side, not just a transformed person, but a transforming human being, someone who is a transformative presence in the world. Now, friends, I know this pandemic is It's no joke. This is serious stuff. People are getting very, very sick, and people are dying. People are losing their jobs, their businesses. There are people going hungry. There are people very afraid, not just here in the U.S., but all over the world. And the impact on the gathered life of the church has been serious. And I've heard from some of you and, and you've told me how concerned you are. I, I've actually had some of you say to me, maybe this is the end of the church as we know it. That we won't survive this. We won't come through this. That financially we'll fall apart. That the, the gathered body will just scatter. That maybe church as we know it is, is over. But, but friends, I, I want you to know that I don't believe that for a minute. I know that we can trust our good God I know that God is with us, and I want you to believe that, and I pray you feel it. I know that this is a hard time, but I also know that our God is at work bringing something good out of this Nazareth. When we are at our lowest ebb, when we are at our worst point, when we are most destroyed, destitute, diminished, bankrupt, when we are most damned and hurting the most, the most damaged. That is when God wants to do the greatest work in our lives. I believe that. Just when you think it's the end in God's hands, it's only the beginning. By the grace of God, something good, something sacred can and will come out of this Nazareth. Will you pray with me? Most holy God, we give you thanks for you are with us all the time in good times and in bad, and in all cases you work for good. We trust in that. Lord, give us courage and strength and perseverance in this challenging time. Open our eyes to see your holy hand at work and help us to trust that you are indeed working to bring something holy out of Nazareth. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.
Thanks so much for joining us in worship today. I'm Senior Pastor Holly Gotelli. Alamo Heights United Methodist Church is a Christian community of love, hope, and belonging for all. To connect with us, visit ahumc.org or find us on social media.